Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Danny. For those of you who don't know, I'm one of the members on staff here. Um, and just before we uh, go into the sermon, I just want to start with two quick things. First, I, w- I want to thank you guys for being here. Um, as I was driving uh, to church this morning, I was thinking how we say that a lot, right? Some, either myself as a presider or the preacher will come and say, thank you for coming to Cornerstone. We love to have you. We're so grateful. And I was thinking about it, and I know we all need that reminder over and over that the church really isn't a building but a people, uh, the, the body, the, the people of God. And without you, there is no church. Um, so from the bottom of my heart, I'm really grateful for every single one of you. I know I don't know many of you by name, uh, but I'd hope and love to get to know you better. And from, on behalf of the staff and the leadership and all those serving here, I just want to say thank you for coming. Uh, secondly, like Hojin mentioned, uh, this week I've been kind of battling a cold. And this morning I woke up and I felt a little better. Um, but I was like, before I go to church, I'll eat a nice breakfast. I, I don't eat breakfast. And I ate and then I took some DayQuil, and then as soon as I got here, I'm 99% sure that I took the orange pills, not the blue ones, but I'm just like extremely dizzy right now. My head feels like it's 30 pounds, Um, so please bear with me if my uh, speech is not, is like slurred, or if I'm not connecting my points well. Uh, My brother is up here. If I fall, I hope that you can catch me, Um, but uh, I got my vitamin C, I got my Bible and the handy-dandy clicker, and so the show must go on. Um, but would you just pray with me as we, as we begin? Lord Jesus, um, we are so grateful that the worship that is given to you and your glory is not dependent on the strengths or the weaknesses of men. That the glory that is due to you will come. And I am grateful that it is not dependent on what I am able to do or what any of us are able to do this morning. I pray that as a result of of the sermon today, of the preached word, uh, especially for two things to happen. One, that your word, that the scriptures, that the Bible would be made clear and understandable to us. And secondly, that we would love Jesus more as a result of it. So we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'd like to welcome you back, especially if you're a college student and you haven't been with us this summer. Um, And for those of you who are just beginning college, uh, and and some of us have gone through, we've been out, and I've been thinking about it a little bit, and I realized that one I I have one lesson. If you are a freshman, I write this down. One lesson that I learned from college that I'll never forget is that people are a lot grosser than you think they are. I remember, I don't know what goes on in the women's bathrooms, and... I don't really care, but for the guys' bathrooms, I remember so many times seeing guys walking barefoot, stand over a urine-covered floor, and just like stomp around, and you know they're going back into their bed without washing their feet, and it's filthy, right? Um, and the other, th- but for me, because I'm a little neurotic, like one of the things that I would particularly always paid attention to was how college students washed dishes. So when I was little, because when you're young, you're very um, uh, easily influenced, and I don't know if you guys have different habits that were formed by adults that you looked up to or your family, but when I was little in elementary school, I remember my uncle taught me how to do the dishes, and he, he was, we were doing it, he's like, okay, you got to make sure you get all the, all the food stains off, and then when you're rinsing, this is the most important part, and for every cup, you have to fill it and dump it out six times, a minimum of six times. I say, like, okay, okay, so I would sit there, I remember, one... Two, and I would literally do that. And I think about it now, it's a terrible waste of water. It's not green, right? Like our schools wouldn't approve of that. But um, 
I, to this day, when I watch people do the dishes, I always kind of like have like this uh, out of my peripheral vision. I'm always kind of watching them. And college students like sprinkle two dots of water on it. They're like, okay, clean. And they put it aside. And it, that always bugged me, right? And I think about it, and this rule structure that my uncle came up with six times is really for our safety, right? It was for my good, so that I didn't give my parents a soapy dish and so that people would be eating like chicken that tastes like Lysol. Um, and it was for my good, and it ended up being a little bit burdensome. It took forever. It's a waste of water and of time. But I'm, I was thinking more about when we're little, we're always taught little cute rules and things that actually help us. And the Ten Commandments, which is a new series that we're beginning this, uh, for the next maybe 11, 12 weeks, uh, because there might be a couple breaks in between, um, most of us have heard that since we were little kids. We memorized it. We did Sunday school. If you memorize it, you got a little eraser that says Jesus loves you. And we've always been taught these things. And as we go into this series, I realize that there are particularly a lot of misunderstandings and different ways that we understand the Ten Commandments and the way that we approach them. And so as an introductory uh, segment to this series, uh, I'd like to start off by hopefully uh, changing our perspective on two particular things when considering the Ten Commandments. The first misunderstanding, I would say, is that the law, or I'm going to be using the word law and the Ten Commandments interchangeably, uh, that the law is oppressive and burdensome. Right? We think about the law. We think about rules. We think about things that you must do. Thou shall do this. And almost immediately, we, we feel like burdened. We feel turned off. And unfortunately, the church historically has been guilty of wielding the Ten Commandments to oppress people, to coerce them, to make you conform, to make you feel guilty, to make you uh, feel that you need to be legalistic. It produces works righteousness. And that's what the Ten Commandments has been used a lot. And so what happens is that we've separated the Old Testament into the Testament of law, the Testament of rules, the Testament of structure, when God had a thus saith the Lord attitude, and the New Testament, where God is gracious as seen through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, as we approach and begin this series, I urge all of us together to shed this understanding of the separation because God has been gracious all along, right? From Adam and Eve, immediately after the fall, he was gracious. To Noah, he was gracious. To Abraham, he made the promise to Abraham and invited him into a covenant and was gracious with Abraham. If you think about it, the covenant was started with Abraham in Genesis 12 and 15, way before the Ten Commandments was even given in Exodus 20. So let's not separate God into this side and to this side because the law was never given to create a relationship with you, to, with mankind. The law was never given to uh, uh, be something about meriting and earning God's favor because he had already invited mankind into a relationship with him. All the scriptures beginning to end speak of God's desire to live in harmonious relationship in covenantal union. And that is something that I hope we understand. And if you have been oppressed by people wielding the Ten Commandments or wielding rules and wielding the scripture to force you into submission, I apologize for you, to, uh, to you. And I want to say one thing. And if you remember anything, I, please remember this. That the same God who gave the Ten Commandments to us is the same God who sent Jesus Christ into this world. The same God who gave us rules and commandments to follow 
is the same unchanging exact God who sent his son Jesus Christ. The second thing uh, that I would like for us to kind of shift in our understanding when approaching the Ten Commandments is that we understand the exodus from Israel to be about Israel, Israelite freedom, right? Uh, we think about, what's that movie? The Prince of Egypt and even the old school movie Ten Commandments and, you know, they, they're approaching the Red Sea and they're all happy, like, you know, Pharaoh let us go and then they get to the sea and they're like, oh crap, like Pharaoh's coming and then they're panicking and then the sea opens, they walk across and then the sea falls on all the uh, Egyptian soldiers and then they celebrate again and, oh, we're free, we're free. Um, but that, I want to say, is actually a little quite misunderstanding as well. So the scriptures from beginning to end, from Adam to Jesus, from Genesis to Revelation, has always been about kingdoms, kingship, rulers, lords, and the battle and the tension between. So I want to argue that the exodus from Israel wasn't so much about Israel being under slavery and oppression to being freed, Rather, Israel being under the impression of an evil king, a false god, and brought into the service of a holy god, the true god, the perfect god, the Lord who knows what is best for you, who loves you, who cares, who, knows, uh, who wants to give you life to the fullest. So the questions that we're going to be approaching isn't so much of are we free or are we enslaved, is it, are the Ten Commandments, are rules something that bind me, or am I free in grace in Jesus? But the question is, who do you serve? Do you serve Pharaoh or Yahweh? Or are you serving Jesus Christ or sin or the world or your flesh? We are always subservient to something. Which leads us into the first commandment. Let's read this together from Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. This is the word of the Lord. See, the first commandment, I feel like I have a lot of pressure because all of the other commandments and all the rest of scripture just kind of trickle down from it. If we were able to get this command right, you shall have no other gods before me, then all the next nine uh, commandments that we go over, we'll get those right. On the flip side, if we get it wrong, then all the other things get wrong too. Today in our culture, we're not surrounded by too much, well, I guess in some places, but not, for us at least, we're not surrounded by like polygamy, by temple worship, and little idols people have in their homes that are worshiping and bowing down to. So for us, for, for, for the 21st century American Christians, the question isn't so much about uh, the number of gods that we serve, but rather what you worship, what you give worth to, where your allegiance lies, what you love most deeply. This past spring, um, in the month of March, one of the most popular stories on the news was about the record jackpot in the Mega Millions lottery game. I remember, uh, if you remember, it just kept growing and growing and growing, and it got to the point when it was a $640 million jackpot. $640 million. I was thinking about what I could do with that money. You, you, for those of you sports fans who, uh, who follow the trades, you remember the, the Red Sox and, and Dodgers trades that just went on? That was $250 million for Adrian Gonzalez and Carl Crawford. And then I was thinking about if I won the lottery and the, the two sides are worrying about the trade, I just 
Columbus, no, I got it. <laughs> Don't worry, Gonzo, you can go to LA. I got, it, what could, you could buy three or four Major League Baseball guys uh, three times, right? You could just pay for anybody's salary. Um, and it ended up, the winning ticket was bought at the end of March 2012. And currently, if you've been following the news, the Powerball jackpot has been growing as well, and it's been on the news. And um, I remember, like, during this craze last in March, I went to BC to speak at their ACF for one of the Friday night services, and I stopped by a convenience store to grab a, a bag of chips and a, and a soda, and there were just lines and lines of college students just in and out, in and out, in and out, buying stacks and stacks of Mega Millions tickets, dropping 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, just coming in and out, in and out. And within this five minute, again, we had two separate lines, and with the five minutes that it took me to buy my bag of chips, I think roughly like 60, 70, maybe 80 students were just in and out. And so when I got to the register, I asked the, the guy, I said, hey, like, has, this, has it been like cra- this crazy all day? He was like, yeah, it hasn't slowed down a bit. It's like, geez, right? And so I thought about it, and this is one little convenience store in Chestnut Hill, and I, I imagine what was going on in the entire country, how many convenience stores, gas stations, supermarkets were just filled with people buying stacks and stacks of Mega Millions tickets, and it, the jackpot would have never gotten that big had people not been shoveling, like just giving away all their money in order to, for the hopes to get rich. For me, uh, I think about one of, one of my confessions, one of the things that I daydream most about is winning the lottery and what I would do with that money. When I'm driving by myself, I'm always thinking about, okay, if I won, what would I buy? Like, okay, I would get a like, 10-car garage, and then I would get one for every form of weather. So if it's really bad snow, I'd get a Hummer. If it's kind of bad snow, Land Rover. If it's nice out, I'd get a, like a, a convertible. And, and I was thinking, why do we all want to get rich so badly? Why were so many tickets sold? On the outside, for a lot of us, it looks different, right? Some of us value and give worth to money because we appreciate the security that it gives. Or maybe just living a luxurious lifestyle. Maybe the comfort that it brings. Maybe because you want certain things. Materialism, fame, socioeconomic status. But at the root of it all... We all worship it in one way or another, don't we? And the reason why we have idols like money or like other things in our lives, the reason why we give worth to it so much is because we are not deeply and wholly satisfied in the relationship that we have with Christ. If you were fully, if we were fully satisfied in Jesus Christ, in knowing him, in in waking up daily to have the scripture by your bed and to know that you have life in Christ, that you have been forgiven, that you have been set free from your sin, that you have a savior and a God who is deeply personal with you, who loves you and cares for you, would it make a difference if you woke up in a shack or a mansion? When it comes to the first commandment, if we all were to confess, okay, I don't have other gods. Jesus Christ is my only God. And I don't worship idols in my home. I don't do temple worship. Does that mean that we fulfill this command? No, it, it doesn't, right? The way that I think that this command is fulfilled is shown in, in Matthew uh, 22. 
Starting from verse 34, Matthew, 20, Matthew writes, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so what I want to share today, and coming from this uh, teaching from Jesus, and also that's, that's also taught from Moses in Deuteronomy that we're going to be looking at later, only a deep, satisfied love in Christ helps us fulfill this command. How do we get rid of idols? That's the big question, right? If we were to say, okay, I believe in the Ten Commandments, I believe that the scripture is true, I believe that these commands apply to my life, what does it mean to have no other gods before you? It means to love Jesus with everything, to love Christ above all, to not seek satisfaction and and pleasure and anything else but knowing Christ. Loving Jesus is how we fulfill this command, and that is why this command fulfills all the ones that, to come, uh, that are to follow, right? If we are to deeply love God, in John he says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And so all the other things will take place. But for us it's so difficult, isn't it? I don't know how many times I've, I've had to crucify the different idols in my life. How many times growing up I've had to write it on a post-it note and toss it into a campfire. I don't know how many times that I have to pray over idols and say that this is wrong. So what do we do? With this yearning to love Jesus more. And I want to direct our attention to just point into looking to the example of Christ and what he did, how he was able to do it, into looking to him as our source of strength, the source of encouragement, the source of ability even to do so. I was reading through the Gospel of John and I came to this passage and here in John 12, Jesus is predicting his death. He's predicting what's going to happen to him. And he says this in verse 27, now is my soul troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Some translations right before the word but added no. So he would say, should I say, Father, save me from this hour? No. This is the purpose for which I have come to this earth. This is the purpose for which I live. Father, glorify your name. I think about what kind of loving obedience this required from Jesus. He understood the wrath that he was about to bear. He understood the separation from God. He understood the sin that would be made of him. He understood the shame and the dishonor and the physical pain that he would bear and the emotional pain that he would bear. And he asks his questions and says, I could never ask that. This is what I was here to do. Father, glorify your name. And it is because of this obedience, this perfect, loving example of loving, sacrificial obedience to the Father that Jesus exemplified and did that we are even able to have any relationship with God at all. Therefore, I want to direct our hearts and our attention and to say as we approach the Ten Commandments, I urge you, church, to just continually look to Christ. 
And my hope is that this law would be not our burden, our oppression, but our delight. That as we go through the Ten Commandments, it would be like an Easter service, that we would be celebrating that God would give us these commandments that are good for us, and that the first one, that you shall have no other gods before me, is seated and rooted in a love for Christ. And as you seek and desire and, and wrestle with that, I urge you again to just look to the cross, think of the work that Christ has done, and think of what he did in the love and obedience that he was able to have to the Father at any cost. This is my prayer for us as we go through this series and just period as a church. The firstly that we would love God more and more and more and more. And I'm so thankful for this commandment. And I'm so thankful that it's famous. I'm so thankful that there's movies made about it. I'm so thankful that people force you to memorize it if you went to church when you were a kid. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall love nothing else but me because I am your God and your loving father, your perfect king whom you serve. And secondly, that as we go over these commands and especially for today's, that it would remind you that the commandments are not oppressive and burdensome, but rather they are our delight, our joy, that we love to hear them, we love to wrestle with them, we love to serve them because of what Christ has done for us. I want to uh, just close um, with this final verse coming from Deuteronomy. And this is where um, Jesus uh, was looking to when he even shared the greatest, command, greatest commandment. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we're so thankful that we can love you because you have loved us first. God, I'm sure all of us in this room can think of the list of idols that we have, the list of things that entice us and steal our love and our affection from you. And God, immediately I'm led to thinking about how gracious you are with that, how patient you are with my folly. And Lord, it's amazing how you command us to do things that are actually best for us, that actually bring us the most pleasure, that bring us the most joy, the satisfaction, the most purpose and reason to live, the most comfort and peace and hope. And every good thing that we can imagine, Lord, is from you and you command us to live life to the fullest. Thank you, Jesus, for the Ten Commandments. We thank you that you call us to delight in you. And Lord, as we embark on this 10-week uh, or maybe 11, 12-week series on these famous uh, on the giving of the law to Moses on Mount Sinai, I pray that each week that goes by that we would be deeply satisfied in Jesus Christ in his perfect fulfillment of all the commands, in his perfect righteousness, his perfect sacrifice, in the imputing of his righteousness unto us. 
So Jesus, we celebrate you this morning. Holy Spirit, we're thankful for the work that you do in our lives. And we pray that as a result of each day, not only Sunday services, but when we're in our, our Mondays, when we're in our offices, or in our schools, or our dormitories, or homes. Holy Spirit, we ask from the bottom of our hearts that you would increase our love and our affection for you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.